You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor, and this is the abbreviated after Christmas edition of the podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Let me tell you a couple of things that have happened in the past week. Apple's Pro Display XDR is a game changer for professional production. And a major animation studio who worked on the movie Jumanji, The Next Level, has basically confirmed this. They've said that they've been using it and that it has changed everything for them, that that they use the display during a real-world project, they demonstrate the benefits of using the screen, and they don't have to pay excessively for a reference monitor. So in the past, they would do their work on computers and displays that they had in-house, like, for example, an iMac. And the Pro Display XDR provides range for them to see past the maximum brightness of a standard iMac display. The benefit here is that in the past, if they used an iMac, they would have to spend money to rent out a facility with the proper XDR kind of displays to check the files and make sure that they were correct. And if you're on a tight turnaround, you can't do that. So the Pro Display XDR at that $5,000 price point for the normal glossy version or $6,000 for the nano edged matte display is totally worth it for studios like this that don't have the uh, the, the time or, or the repeated expense each time they're making on files to pay for that second facility. This, this comes from Lunar Animation. They're a UK-based studio which works on CGI and visual effects for films, commercials, and games. And as I said, they worked on uh, Jumanji. They say that it is the real game changer. They say it gives them an ability that we previously didn't have in the studio. This is in the form of a phenomenally accurate visual representation of content we were making, allowing them to deliver something we were truly confident in. And it's essentially a reference monitor. Uh which would normally cost tens of thousands of dollars to acquire. So it does that at a considerably lower cost and that they're now going to be using it on all projects moving forward. They were also pleased with the Mac Pro, which of course increases the performance above other Macs, including iMac Pro. They created two minute end credits for a film and they they'd said they required the use of 28 high resolution photorealistic objects with each having high resolution textures and geometry. Previously, the iMac Pro they were using wasn't capable of handling all of the assets with high-resolution texture maps, as the Mac kept running out of graphics RAM. Switching over to the Radeon Pro Vega 64 with 16 gig of HBM2 memory in the 10-core iMac Pro to the 16-core Mac Pro with two Radeon Vega 2 cards with 32 gig of HBM2 memory each. That's a total of 64. And the Apple Afterburner card they discovered the benefits of reduced limitations in hardware, which I think we all knew, but but obviously having double the VRAM and and more cores and the afterburner card, all of it goes to, to making things closer to, to real-time or just even handling all those assets. So what they said was that the same scene opened perfectly due to the use of multiple times the amount of graphics memory, but then they were also surprised to see it playing back in real-time without pre-caching. And um, unlocking the scene from 24 frames per second, which is the, the standard for film animators saw it play it up to 134 frames per second, which is, well, staggering. So it, it appears that if you're a professional, the XDR monitor is a is not overpriced. It's in fact underpriced, and it's a really good bargain. Apple is going to start enforcing app notarization for macOS Catalina in February. Now, this is another one of the things that Apple does as a part of requiring that the, the software that you run is going to be secure for users. You know, in, in the past, they've done things like 
require that apps be sandboxed. They've required signing. And then you'd see a message saying, this was downloaded from the internet. Uh, you're not, it's not signed, you can't open it. And you'd have to go to system preferences, security, and then open anyway. And then they've they've done things where they notify you anyway, like this, this app was downloaded from the internet. Are you sure you want to open it? Safari downloaded this file on whatever date, Apple checked it for malicious software and none was detected. And then you can choose to open it or not. The new app notarization policies mean that things the, these developers are going to have to submit their apps to Apple. They're going to have to go through a security process or they won't run in macOS Catalina. This is an extension to the existing gatekeeper process that allowed notarization as an option. Well, this is now not becoming optional. The option is going away. Now, Apple told people about this last June in WWDC. And the requirement is designed to ensure that downloaded software is coming from the source that users believe it is from. Notarized apps are scanned automatically by Apple for security issues and malicious code. And while Mac App Store apps undergo stringent checks before being made available, notarization aims to provide a similar level of safety and security to users downloading apps that aren't distributed through the App Store. So if you got an app from the app's developer's website, you'd want to make sure that it was also safe. So there were interim terms. These began in September. Apple notarized apps that didn't have the hardened runtime capability enabled, uh, included components not signed by developer ID, do not include a secure timestamp with developer's code signing signature, was built using an older SDK, or included a get task allow security entitlement. That period allowed developers to complete the notarization process, as well as protecting users using older versions of third-party software on Catalina. Apple is warning developers who have yet to upload their software to the notary service to do so now and to review developer log warnings. The warnings become errors on February 3rd and will need to be fixed in order for the software to become notarized. Now, there's there's reasonable concern here, right? You want to make, the, the, from, from just Apple's position, this sounds like a good thing. Software is coming from the source that they say it's coming from, that it's been checked and there's no malicious code, that this is generally supposed to be a good thing for the users, right? That's the idea. But there are some questions because this is a computer and it's your computer. And if you can't open things you want on it, is it really yours is a question. And another problem that's a little more practical and less esoteric or philosophical is will open source software be able to be notarized? Because open source software tends to be one where it does have an owner, just in terms of copyright purposes, because the license is a copyright license. The open source license is a copyright license. You know, if if you aren't the owner and maintainer, but you want to run it on Mac, will you be able, will you be the one with the, uh, the ownership rights to submit it for notarization? This is a tough question. Now, obviously Apple is built on a lot of open source technology and has Apache included in it, has, has, a lot of things, including the kernel is open source even. And some of these things are already included in the macOS distribution. Apple owns them. Cups.org, which is the, the common Unix printing system, is owned by Apple. So that is, is already notarized in the system. But for other open source tools, it's not clear. So this is going to be interesting, but we, we will see how this affects people. There, there are folks that are saying that nothing has changed, nothing on the client side is changing, that no version of Catalina shipped without requiring by default the notarization of all software created after June 1st. At the same time, this is 
something that we'll see what happens on February 3rd, because if developers haven't done this, it'll be really easy to tell when your software stops running. You know, there are some people that say, well, we were told about it in June, and then they started turning on interim rules in September, and now they're going to turn on the final rules in February 3rd. That's plenty of time. And you'd say that, but I would remind you that Adobe has a history, for example, of uh, waiting until the last minute, as they did with their 32-bit and 64-bit applications as they're getting ready for 64-bit. Apple told everyone well ahead of time that 64-bit was coming, and we were still getting warnings about 32-bit applications. So we will see what happens here. We'll keep watching and letting you know. I want to tell you a little bit about an Apple TV series. So there's a series coming called Mythic Quest, Raven's Banquet. And it's a show centered around a team of video game developers uh, navigating the challenges of a popular video game. This is, of course, going to be exclusively on Apple TV+. The, the show is written by Rob McElhenney and Charlie Day, known for their work on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And McElhenney stars as the company fictional company's creative director in the show. Other people in the cast include F. Marie Abraham, who is in the Grand Budapest Hotel and Star Trek Insurrection, Danny Pudi of Community, uh, Imani Hakim from Everybody Hates Chris, Charlotte McDow from uh, Girls World, David Hornsby, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. There, there's a bunch of people in this. And it's it's got uh, production by McElhinney and Day alongside staffers from Ubisoft and, of course, Lionsgate and 3D Arts. The show's first season consists of nine half-hour-long episodes. What's interesting about this is that this show has already been renewed for a second season, and we have yet to even see the first season debut. <laughs> this is the second show that they've done this with. They, uh, they, The first show that they've renewed prior to the first season actually displaying is uh, Apple's Little America. Now, of course, anyone interested in watching this show is going to need a subscription to Apple TV+. Plus. But any of you fine listeners who purchased an iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple TV, or iPod Touch last year, this year after September 10th are eligible for a year of Apple TV Plus for free. So this is interesting, and I think this one is going to appeal to a lot of people. First of all, uh, it's, it's around a company and, a video, game, and video game developers. And, and that kind of thing was already popular in a way with Silicon Valley on HBO. It's got a great cast. It's got writers who did great work with It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which ran for a really long time. So I, I think the recipe is there. Now, they could still get it wrong. As, as William, who's normally here, would tell you, it's entirely possible that all TV is a bet and you can't predict what's going to succeed. But clearly, Apple thinks they can because they've already renewed the thing. So... This will be interesting, and um, I'm, I'm waiting to see it. Of course, I should have also mentioned F. Marie Abraham was in Amadeus and uh, won an Oscar for his role as Salieri. And the last story I want to tell you about before you go back to your holiday festivities and, and whatever it is we do in this sort of lull between Christmas and New Year's, Johnny Ive. Remember Johnny Ive? Famous guy, Johnny Ive. Yeah, Apple chief design officer, former Apple chief design officer, Johnny Ive, made a sizable donation to a campaign to plant trees across the United Kingdom. Uh, he gave essentially 100,000 pounds or 129,000 US to the Be a Tree Angel campaign. Now, he wasn't alone in this. The same amount was given by restaurateur Richard Caring, businessman Lord Sugar, 
and an anonymous donor. So in total, 400,000 pounds from four individuals is enough to fund the creation of orchards in 4,000 schools across the United Kingdom, as well as provide care to maintain the orchards and keep them healthy. I've told the Daily Mail, I love trees and over the years have climbed them, eaten and fallen from them and planted as many as I can. And that trees were also profoundly good for learning and creating. Trees, of course, are a fundamental concept for the Apple Park design. Um, according to I have acres of parkland and orchards were key to its creation. And being able to contribute to a project so close to my heart is fabulous, I've said. So the Daily Mail is behind the Be a Tree Angel campaign, working with the Tree Council, which is accepting contributions from its readers and corporate donors for the cause. And so far, the whole effort has raised enough to plant more than 35,000 trees. Now, when we think about Apple Park, it was obviously the dream of late uh, of Steve Jobs to fashion Apple Park's landscaping after the California in which he grew up. In the, the presentation video that they made public in 2013, architect Norman Foster said Jobs thought of California as the fruit bowl of America and wanted the campus to reflect that with the landscapes he remembered as a child. So in, in Apple Park, they have drought-resistant varieties all over the campus grounds, including apple, apricot, cherry, persimmon, and plum trees in and around the main structure. So it's um, in and around the main ring structure. This, this is only good things, you know. Um, obviously, some people will say that this is a small amount for someone of Johnny Ives' stature. Uh, but he could have easily not contributed anything at all. This is only a good thing. And the nice thing about these trees is that when they're maintained, they live on for generations and it helps. Well, that's all I have this morning. I really am so glad you joined us if you're out there listening. I I hope that you've had a wonderful holiday season, and I can't wait to, to hear from you and talk to you more in the new year. Thank you so much. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week.